What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Missing Persons. everybody to another episode of Speaking of Missing Persons and welcome to the new listeners. Before we get started on today's episode, a little bit of business. We have another show, Speaking of Murders. Make sure you're going and checking that out. Uh, we also have a Patreon that's linked in the show notes and also in the show notes is our socials where you can find pictures associated with all of our episodes including today's episode. So go check those out. Um, don't forget to hit the like button. Hit the follow, subscribe, so you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. And, ne- well, this Thursday on the murder show, on Thursday we are going to be l- releasing a sneak peek episode for our new show that's coming out at the beginning of the year, Unsolved Mayhem. So go on Thursday, check that out, don't miss out on it, and we're going to be putting some out on this show later in the month. So keep an eye out for those. If you have a case suggestion of something that you would like to hear on the show, send that to our email, speakingofmissingpersons at gmail.com, or you can uh, slide into our DMs. We check those too. Slide so, into those DMs. Yup. So today, Sarah's telling our Unless case. Unless you want to date, then don't. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> So Sarah's going to be telling us the story today, and uh, I I know nothing about it. Who are we talking about? Yeah, you do. You know a little bit about it. I do? It got talked about on our Patreon episode on Saturday. So on our Patreon, we talked about, you know, a nobody named Ed Gein. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) Random guy. (laughs) Some random nobody. That's how we kicked off the month of October is with Ed Gein. Now, there are people that went missing during the time Ed Gein was, you know, doing his weirdness. Yeah. I think that's basically what it is. Yeah, his weirdness. That police spent a lot of time trying to prove Ed Gein was involved in their missing person. He vanished to these people, too. Yeah. They're not... Connected. Okay. <laughs> explain how. And go. <laughs> I'm going to explain, but I think there's technically like four people that went missing in a 10-year time frame when Ed Gein was being weird. And I'm only going to tell you about the two main ones today, which were two young girls. Okay. One is an eight-year-old girl and the other is a 15-year-old girl. Well, that right there doesn't make sense for exactly. him. Exactly. That's a big thing. They don't fit his, his MO. A, yeah, his victim profile. Right. No, because he was looking for women that looked like his mom. Right. That were around the same ages. Like, I don't know. Oh, If you want to know more about Ed, go check out the Patreon. Yeah, subscribe. And his avant-garde art. <coughs> I mean... <laughs> 
Okay, so the <laughs> first girl we're going to talk about, her name was Georgia Jean Weckler. She was eight years old. She came from a very well-known family in the Oakland Center area of Wisconsin. Just so you know, we're going to be in Wisconsin because that's where Ed Gein was. Her parents were George and Eleanor. George's family had owned the same land for over 100 years. Dang. They were very involved with their community. Everyone knew who they were. On May of 1947, so we're going way back because obviously Ed Gein was in the 40s and 50s. It was a very rainy day. Okay. All right. The Weckler children usually rode their bikes to school, but because of the rain, Eleanor drove Georgia and her two, two of her sisters to school that morning. For some reason, unknown, Georgia's class was let out early that day. So she got a ride from one of her classmates' moms, a woman named Mrs. Carol Florick. She was dropped off at the end of her driveway at 3.30 p.m. Georgia checked the mail, then happily started skipping down the half-mile driveway. Long-ass driveway. That's surrounded by woods. She had told Carol that on her way down the driveway, she was going to pick flowers for something called May Day that was coming up. It was like a celebration of like spring that was coming up in the town. And she wanted to make a flower basket for it. All right. So Eleanor had no real reason to feel concerned Because she thought all of her kids would be home together after school like they usually were. Right. She had no way of knowing she got let out early. Right. When her daughters, Laverne and Joan, made it home without Georgia, Eleanor still didn't worry at first because she thought, well, maybe George had taken Georgia into town with him because he was leaving the house at that point that the other two girls were coming in. So she thought, well, maybe Georgia just got in the car with him and went to town, and they just didn't tell me. Back in the day, that that had to be difficult. To to try to keep track of your children? Yeah, because if they didn't tell you, you didn't fucking know. Yeah. You couldn't find them either. No cell phones, none of that business. Yeah, we lived that life for a little bit, where we could disappear and our parents would have no clue. Well, when George came home at 6 o'clock that evening, he did not have Georgia with him. That is when the family, like, seriously began to panic. You, okay, my first thought, though, is you wouldn't think to ask the two sisters, like, like, hey, have you seen Georgia? I, I thought the same thing, but it doesn't. Like, none of them spoke up and said, oh, well, Georgia didn't even come home with us. I thought the same thing. But I also don't know how old those other two girls were. So, like I said, she was, like, not with George. So, at first, they called all of the neighbors to see if she was there or if they had seen her. This is when Eleanor found out that Carol had given Georgia a ride home from school earlier. She told Eleanor that Georgia stopped to get the mail and had 
plan to pick flowers. So the neighbors came together to search the woods surrounding the house, but not because they thought anything, like, had happened to her as far as, like, someone doing something to her. They genuinely still believed, like, maybe she went into the woods to look for flowers and she got hurt somehow and she's stuck and she can't get out. Right. Because she had spent a lot of her childhood in these woods with her siblings. They're surrounding her whole driveway. Like, they played in these woods all the time. Initially, they're going to try to see if maybe she got hurt somewhere. When darkness fell... And when I say darkness, this is 1947, so it was literally dark, dark. No streetlights, kind of dark. And they still had not seen her. This is, or found her. This is when George called the police for help. George had been a deputy sheriff in the past, so he still had, like, friends on the department. And so it was more of, like, a calling in friends for help than it was actually reporting her missing kind of a deal at first. Gotcha. Because they still believe she was just just lost or hurt somewhere. Yeah. By morning, hundreds of people came to the Weckler farm to help look for Georgia. Even police from neighboring towns at this point are joining in to try to find her. That's what happens when you have connections. Yeah. The next day, after hearing about the story on the news, a truck driver came forward to report that he had been on Highway 12, which is where Georgia was dropped off. Their driveway started at, like, it was off this Highway 12. Okay. So he had been in that area. He said he saw a dark-colored car pull out, like, it was on the shoulder, it pulled out, cut him off, and then immediately swerved down the Weckler's driveway. He said he had to, like, swerve into the other lane to keep from hitting this car. So maybe they Hmm. went really fast down the driveway and hit her accidentally and then freaked out and just picked her body up. We'll see. Once police were given this information, they reported, like, this is when they were like, okay, she's been kidnapped. Right. This isn't a she's lost in these woods kind of situation. She's been taken. And They promised to do everything that they could to get her back, but they don't ever get her back. Spoiler. Yeah. A reward was offered for her safe return. It quickly grew to $10,000, which is a lot in 1947. Yeah, it is. Several people that police talked to believed the car that this truck driver described was owned by a young man named Buford Sennett, and we'll talk about him in just a little bit. The community was so afraid by George's kidnapping that they closed down schools, businesses, all kinds of things, because they were scared for kids to leave their houses. Shit. Georgia was described as a very caring, smart girl that loved art, and she had lots of friends, And this community as a whole was devastated by the fact that this little girl was missing. Neighbors came together to help the Wecklers in any way that they could so that the family could focus on finding Georgia and did not have to worry about also keeping up with their farm or their house. Like they were doing all of their farm work, cooking and cleaning for them, 
they all the kind of neighbors you want to have if something like this happened to you. Community was a real thing back then. Yeah. It's not so much nowadays. Uh, but then it was. <laughs> yeah. But like almost all missing persons cases, time passed and the story died down in the media and it was no longer front page news even though there was still no sign of their daughter. It's said that George literally traveled from town to town talking to anyone that would listen and showing pictures of his daughter trying to get any information. Like that became all consuming in his life is finding her. In December of 1947, so she went missing in May, we're now in December, 22-year-old Buford confessed to kidnapping Georgia. What the fuck? He was in prison because he had been convicted of the kidnapping and murder of a guy named Carl Carlson because Buford raped Carl's sister-in-law multiple times and Carl, I guess, was trying to stop it. And so Buford kidnapped him and murdered him brutally and threw him into a river. Buford said that him and another man, whom he would not name, took Georgia because they knew she came from a wealthy family. The plan, he claimed, was to get a ransom from her. So they took her to a wooded area outside of Richland Center, Wisconsin, and he told police he had given her two sleeping pills because he had a date that night that they kidnapped her. So he wanted her to stay compliant, so he gave her sleeping pills and left her with his accomplice in their hideout, which their hideout turned out to be like a foxhole, which wasn't actually, we'll talk about it, it wasn't actually found until way later. I don't think any eight-year-old needs two sleeping pills. He said when he came back the morning after they had kidnapped her, because he had Mm -hmm. a date, that Georgia was dead. His accomplice had given her, he said, had given her more sleeping pills. Why? Don't know. According to him, he tied cinder blocks to her body and tossed her from the Blue Ridge Bridge, which is where he dumped Carl's body. So not everyone believed he was telling the whole truth. And without any concrete evidence... They could not charge him with Georgia's kidnapping. Like, there, it's just his word. They have they searched this body of water. They found nothing. Did they find Carl Carlton in that body of water? Yeah, he was already in prison for that. Well, I was asking. Yeah, that's how they found... That's how he was arrested is because they found Carl Carlson's body. Oh, okay. And it led back to Buford. The Wecklers waited for answers that never came. Anytime bones were found in pretty much anywhere in Wisconsin, they held their breath, like, waiting to see if it was their daughter. But nothing was ever found. And for some weird reason, in November of 1957, they questioned Ed Gein when he was arrested. I was going to say, what did Ed have anything to do with that because none of that makes any kind of sense he had nothing to do with it it was just 
because he was doing so much he was weird shit doing so much weird shit they were like now the uh, other hold on guy <laughs> the other girl <laughs> that we're gonna talk about there are things that you could be like okay possibly but with georgia there's nothing there's literally nothing that ties him to this. He's nowhere in that area when she went missing. It was like 10 years before he even Yeah, I honestly got believe arrested. the Buford guy is telling the oh, truth. Yeah. Me too. It makes sense. Which is really sad. That's very unfortunate. I, yeah. And to be honest, can we be honest? If that's what happened, sleeping pills was probably the best way to go. I don't know. Well, her father... Need to the alternatives. Her... Right. Her father actually believed until his death that she was still alive. He didn't really believe Buford's story. And Eleanor mourned her daughter until she passed away in 1996. Like, it was all-consuming to her. Most people believe Buford was involved. He was considered a sexually motivated offender. His vehicle matched the one seen the day Georgia disappeared. His physical description matched as well. The biggest thing that points to his guilt was that he knew details about the case that had not been released to the public. Sounds like he did it. Yeah. People believe he did it. They just don't believe his, like, story of story how, of how it happened. His accomplice was the one that gave her too many pills. They also don't believe he did it for ransom. Right. right. I don't believe that either because nothing was ever sent to them well not only that it's the fact of to kidnap her for ransom you would have had to known she was getting out of school early that day right it i feel like it was a chance happening chance encounter which is just sad at the time he gave his confession about georgia he refused to sign it or reveal who his accomplice was but he did say the kidnapping was planned but like i said no one believes that you would have had to known she was getting out of school early. He was paroled December 15th, 1974, after 27 years of serving his life sentence for killing Carl Carlson. But he was arrested again in 1987 and sentenced to another 20 years for sexually assaulting two young girls. Mm, Sounds like guilt. Police questioned him again about Georgia when he got arrested in 1987 and he recanted his previous confession and said he had nothing to do with it and it was coerced like pretty much he was forced because the police were just looking for somebody to blame which i mean coulda but it doesn't you look pretty guilty dude i mean he's a repeat offender (laughs) he's continuously doing these same things guy right well, I think the most damning thing is the fact that, like you said, he knew he knew things, things that, about it that yeah. he would not, if he had not been present for the crime. Well, in 2017, the case was reopened by a cold case detective. She believes parts of Buford's story is true, but thinks he may have hid Georgia's body near his hideout, which was a fox lair. So she thinks that he buried her body somewhere near this fox lair that he he claimed was his hideout. But they have searched this area and they've found nothing. Another man named Charles Edward McClendlin 
also confessed to the kidnapping and murder of Georgia in 1954. He was being tried in Nebraska for the murder of a prison guard and confessed to five murders in total, including Georgia's. He claimed that she was strangled and buried in Illinois near a creek bed, but police searched this area and found nothing. Charles also said he had an accomplice, telling police that he had went to Wisconsin and they were looking to make easy money when they saw Georgia on her driveway and decided to take her for ransom. He claimed they got her in the car by telling her they were taking her to a circus. But then he later recanted his confession also, saying that he had just read about all this in the newspaper and wanted the attention. Which I believe. I was going to say, yeah. See, I kind of, at first I was like, could he have just been Buford's accomplice? (laughs) Right. They're just not saying each other, but it's saying his accomplice was also from Nebraska. So I don't know. I feel like it was Buford. It was probably Buford. So that was the story of Georgia. There's literally nothing to me that connects her to Ed Gein whatsoever. No. No. This one is, the next one we're going to talk about is very weird, but here we go. Her name was Evelyn Grace Hartley. She was born November 21st, 1938, and disappeared in La Crosse, Wisconsin, on October 1953, while she was babysitting. Now, if you remember, La Crosse is, well, you guys, and whoever has listened to our Patreon, Lacrosse is where Ed Gein's family was from. Yeah, originally. I right. Which gives it a connection, number one. Her parents, Richard and Ethel, would face the same heartbreak as Georgia's family had. Evelyn was like, okay, she's 15 years old. Her dad worked at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse with a guy named uh, Vigo Rasmussen. And there was, like, a big homecoming game this night. And everybody was going to this homecoming game at the college. So they asked Evelyn if she would watch their 20-month-old daughter. Because their normal babysitter was attending homecoming. And they were taking their other daughter with them. They just didn't want to take the baby. Okay. So she... Evelyn was a junior at Central High School. She was a straight-A student that loved science and was part of numerous school activities, including drama club. Like, she was very involved with her school. She was described as quiet and dependable and loved activities where she could be outside. Evelyn agreed to babysit at first, but later she tried to change her mind. But her mother would not allow her to back out. Mr. Rasmussen picked her up around 6.20 p.m. She planned to study at their house after she got the baby to sleep. So she brought, like, all of her school books along with her. She was supposed to check in at home by calling her parents at 8.30 to let them know that she was okay. But she never called. So Richard, her dad, called the house multiple times and got no answer this made him like 
super nervous. He's like, what the hell? This isn't like her. Why is she not answering the phone? So he drove over there. When he arrived, all the doors were locked. So he looked through the window of like the front of the house. He saw that Evelyn's school books were scattered around the living room. And it looked like furniture had been moved out of place. Like it wasn't where it was supposed to be originally. I mean, I feel like he's been in this house before if he could drive straight to it or at least seen it. Well, they were co-workers, so... He also noted that the lights were all on and music was playing. So he went around to the back of the house to see if the back door was open or whatever. Well, he found that a basement window, the screen had been taken out. It appeared to have pry marks on it. And there was a stepladder inside the basement positioned next to the open window. The screen was like sitting on the outside of the house next to the window. Richard used this to go inside the house to look for his daughter. I mean, I understand the want and need to get in there. But at the same time, if you find all of those things, it's time to call the police. I agree with you. But at the same time, he probably also wanted to see if the baby was okay. I mean, it it was mostly about his daughter. I get that, but still. (laughs) And we're also in the 50s. So it's not like he could just take out his cell phone and call police. Yeah, like in his mind, in. he's like, "I'm if my daughter is in trouble, I need to get in this house kind of a deal. Okay. When he got inside, he found one of her shoes in the basement. He would later find her other shoe on the main floor, which was like in the living room area. And he also found her glasses with that other shoe and they were broken. Every room in the house was locked and he had to like pretty much force himself into the baby's room to see if like she's in the baby's room hiding with the baby well she was not there but the baby was there asleep in the crib perfectly fine nothing had happened to the baby when police arrived they found pry marks on three of the windows two pools of blood in the yard that were like 18 inches in diameter oh shit they found a bloody handprint near the ground on the outside of the detached garage like she was almost like somebody was being dragged and they tried to grab a hold of the side of the side of the garage uh and they found blood on the outer wall of the neighbor's house Like, same deal. Like, somebody trying to keep themselves from being dragged or carried or whatever. Sounds like a real kidnap situation. Sounds like a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awful. With the amounts of blood and the locations of it, police believed that Evelyn was carried through the yard and had been sat down a couple of times. Like, maybe to readjust like she was okay. it sounds like she was fighting them so she right. was probably they were like fuck she's wiggling out of my arms they also found footprints in the basement and the living room that had a very unique soul pattern to them they believed she had been abducted through the basement window that richard had found open because they found one of the buttons from her pants 
was attached was like inside the window well okay so it like popped off of the, as, as they were they dragging, were dragging her, through the window. her through the window now they were stupid and didn't collect this button and it blew away or something happened because the button disappeared God. it was never seen again after that night they used dogs to try to track her scent but they lost the trail two blocks away which made police believe this is where they put her in a car. Like, they drug her the two, or carried her, drug her the two blocks, then put her in a car. 2,000 people came out to help look for Evelyn. Ah, dang. 3,500 people were questioned by police in the first year of this investigation. Holy shit. One witness came forward and said she heard a scream about an hour before police arrived that night, which would have been around like 7.30-ish. Well, it would have been around 8 o'clock because he got there a little after 8.30. He took like five minutes to search the house. Then he called police. So it's believed she only got taken like 30 minutes before her dad actually showed up that's dang fucked up another person said they saw a car driving through the neighborhood around the the time and a couple days later another witness came forward and told police he had almost been hit head-on by a man driving a buick speeding through the neighborhood heading west he said that a man was driving the car and another man was in the back seat with a young girl and she had her head laying and resting on the driver's seat. Like she was sitting in the back and leaned forward with her head on the driver's seat. A little suspicious. Right? Several days later, various articles of clothing, and it was underwear and a bra, were found stained with blood on Highway 14, two miles south of La Crosse. The blood type on the clothes matched Evelyn's blood type. The blood on the underwear, they determined, was menstrual blood. So she was on her period. Another four miles away, someone found a pair of men's pants with blood stains, but no one knows if those are actually connected to this case. Would be... In Coon Valley, which is southeast of La Crosse, someone found a size 11 pair of Goodrich sneakers and a size 36 denim jacket. The shoes had a similar pattern to the footprints that were found inside the house. So they believe this jacket and these sneakers were worn by whoever committed the crime. All of these items were... Like tossed from I was gonna say, a moving somebody's vehicle. Somebody's just driving just down driving the highway, around, throwing the shit out the car, pretty much. Okay. Okay. So law enforcement, locals, the National Guard, the Boy Scouts, and the students and the faculty of Lacrosse State College participated in the search for Evelyn. So I don't know if you know this fun fact. Back in the day, they used the Boy Scouts to hunt for dead bodies. I actually had heard of that before. Yeah. That's crazy. Let's traumatize because little boys. they were so good at yeah, being survivals. in the woods and yeah. survival things, they used them to help look for dead bodies. They did some shit I've never heard of, okay? 
they started vehicle inspection program with the goal of searching every vehicle in La Crosse County for bloodstains. They're like, if you're driving in this county, we're searching your garbage. Gas station attendants. They were literally like, if someone pulls up here, they get gas from you, you look through their car for blood. Well, yeah, because at that point, you didn't pump your own gas. You didn't pump your own gas. Then the gas station attendants had these stickers that they were supposed to put on the back windshield that said, my car's been searched. Holy shit. Wow. Thorough. That's insane. Yeah. Fucking thorough. They were not playing when they were looking for her, like straight up. They dug up recently buried graves to make sure that nobody put her body in a fresh grave to try to hide it. They thought of the shit, though. In May of 1954, they started conducting mass lie detector tests on lacrosse high high school boys, okay? In an attempt to find any information to help with their search, their goal was to test 1,750 students and faculty, but the community stopped them after 300, saying that it was controversial and they were forcing people to do things against their will. So they only got to lie detector test 300 people out of 1,750. But they were trying, man. They were like, we're going after this time. We're going to find this person. Now... Ed Gein became a suspect in 1957 because some reports claimed he was visiting relatives a few blocks away from the Rasmussen house at the time of Evelyn's disappearance. So he was seen in this area. Whether that is true or not true, because he claimed he wasn't, but witnesses say they saw him in this area Around the time she, like, on the night she went missing. Yeah, but was that before That was or after he was found out. That's what I'm saying. He swore and even passed a lie detector test saying he was not there and he had nothing to do with it. But people came forward once he was arrested and were like, oh, we saw him in La Crosse the night that the Evelyn girl went missing. Well, like you said, the Green mm. River Killer passed numerous lie detector tests. Yeah, I know. He was cleared, though, of having any involvement when they were done searching his entire house. They yeah, found he nothing. I was going to say, there would have been some remnants of yes, her. there would have been if... something of hers. They found absolutely no body parts of hers whatsoever in his house. I... I also don't think that he would have driven around and thrown clo- clothes out no. of the car. No, he would have taken them home and just threw them, like, in his trash pile. Yeah, he would have just thrown them in a corner. He kept everything. Yeah. In 2004, so we're going, like, a long time from when this happened, a man named Mel Williams came forward with a recording he had captured while he was trying to record a band in a bar. Okay, so he was, like... Not like a video recording, like a tape recording. He was trying to record this band in a bar, and he was sitting with these two dudes, and they started having this conversation. So in the recording, two men, one named Clyde Peterson, and the other one's name was Jack Gallagher, they're having a conversation about kidnapping and murdering Evelyn. 
just casually. Yeah. That is a weird conversation to have over On the tape, it's claimed that Clyde implicates himself, Jack, and an unnamed third party, claiming they murdered her and buried her body in LaForge, Wisconsin. Clyde died of a heart attack in 1974, and Jack committed suicide in 1977. Now, this tape was, like, from not long before Clyde died. But this dude held on to it till 2004. That's uh, fucked up. Why, though? Makes me believe you're the unnamed third accomplice, kind of. Just speculation. Police promised to look into this recording, but nothing has ever come of it. And as long as it's been since both of these poor girls have disappeared, police are still taking tips and still actively trying to solve both cases. So you can call if you know anything, like if you have an ancestor that was like, oh yeah, I was involved in that, or... You know, I knew somebody who knew somebody that did this or whatever. You can call lacrosse police about Evelyn at 608-785-5962. And if you have any tips about Georgia, you can call Detective Leah Meyer directly because she's the cold case detective that's still assigned to this case. At 920-674-7365. All right. Man. Okay. Holy smokes. Yeah, I don't know if that guy was the unnamed accomplice. I think that, uh, I think the recording might have been false. Yeah, like a doctored yeah, situation. That or... Or he just never re-listened to it until 2004. Like, he found it in a box and he was like, oh, what's this? And played it and... Was like and oh, realized shit. what he f- had. Well, my thought was he probably grabbed a couple of guys, a couple of his buddies, and was like, "Hey, you, you, come here. Let's let's do a thing real quick. Say this type of shit," and recorded it, and then said it was an old recording. I don't know. That just seems just as outrageous as Tommy. Yeah, because I mean like, that's a pretty random case to just back. Yeah. pick like out of a hat. Yeah, that's why I, I assumed know. that he probably just found it like 40 years later and was like, like what the hey, hell is yeah, this? Yeah, what's on this? I think it's just as plausible as people who come in and make false confessions to try and get yeah, attention. you're right. And that kind of shit. Well, where was he from? He to was from Wisconsin. Okay, I mean, well then he would have heard something about it possibly. Right. I don't know. Well, I'm sure he would. they would have because both cases were connected to not connected to Ed Gein but Ed Gein was blamed for them and which I don't think he had involvement with either. No. No. That does not sound like <laughs> anything he would have been no. into. No. And I'll eventually we can talk about the other two people. Um, I don't think he was involved in them either because they were men, which makes no Even sense. Even less sense, yeah. Yeah. But I figured I would start with the two young girls that police really, like, they spent weeks and months trying to force him to say he was involved in these cases and he never cracked he was like nah. no no because he was pretty open once they caught him he was pretty shit before they caught him he was pretty open with telling people shit well yeah but they just thought he was a crazy kooky guy yeah all right well if you enjoyed the episode let us know like i said at the beginning 
leave us five stars leave a review hit to follow subscribe those on youtube leave some comments share with your friends your family whoever um does anyone have any final thoughts no no Mm-mm. all right we'll catch y'all back next week bye 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 bye, bye. bye.